Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at our blog spot, and on my Uwego. We invading airwaves. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody! Yes, yes, y'all. Tell a friend to tell a friend that we are back. We are on your podcast. We are on YouTube right now. It is your man, DM Cool. And this is another edition of Cool Radio. And with this edition of Cool Radio, I bring a special guest. And ladies and gents, when I tell you I bring the heavy hitters, that is not hyperbole. That is a fact. I bring the heavy hitters. This gentleman right here is a big YouTuber on the web when it comes to discussing film and television. Not only does he do that on YouTube, he is a he is a film, a legitimate film critic, all right? He is the, a critic for the movieblog.com. He is an approved critic for Rotten Tomatoes, and he is a member of the African American Film Critic Association. This gentleman comes with credentials, all right? <laughs> so on that note, let me introduce to you my man, he goes by the name of Emmanuel Eman Noisette, or is it Noisette? Is it Noisette? Or is it Noisette if you want to be fancy. All right, Noisette. How about that? Because we are in Wakanda for today. So let's go, go fancy with it. But nonetheless, Emmanuel Eman Noisette is in the studio, or virtual studio, I should say. Um, Eman, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you for making the time. I know you're a very busy individual, so... I really do appreciate it. Um, we have so much to talk about. Uh, we got to talk about um, Black Phil. We got to talk about, you know, some MCU stuff. We got to talk about Recast Child. I see you wearing the shirt. You I know love it. it. You um, know it. Before we get into that, man, I want to get into some facts about you, actually. Sure. Um, I want to, like, anytime, anytime I have a guest on the show, I'm always very curious to know how their love for their creative craft came to be. So I would like to know from you, um, when did you decide that you wanted to, you know, immerse yourself in the role in the uh, in the world, I should say, of film and television? Well, I mean, the funny thing is, is that just like everybody else, I love movies. You know what I'm saying? Like, the thing is, is that I didn't know the difference between loving the movie and actually articulating my thoughts about it. Um, you know, it started back in like, I want to say 2012, I think. Uh, I was watching The Dark Knight, you know, and it, it blew me away. You know, fantastic movie and all that. And, uh, you know, I was on social media. I was on Facebook and I just posted my thoughts. I was like, man, good movie. This love the action, blah, 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 blah. And nobody really checked for that. Nobody cared, but it was cool. You know, and then the next movie came out. Next movie came out. And I, I just kept on talking about it. And then for a minute, I stopped. Like, I, you know, like a week or two, I just stopped talking. And then people was like, bro what did you think about the movie though? Like, where you at? And I was like, oh, I didn't know y'all cared. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know, so let me go ahead and keep doing this. And then after a while, people was like, man, you should make a website. And I was like, all right. And then they was like, yo, you should make a fan page. All right. And then I was like, man, 
I be having like all these ideas and stuff. I really want people to see it like visually, you know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, I've always had like an IT background and just little by little, because I've always wanted people to see what I'm seeing, that's how I started getting into video and um, launching up my YouTube channel. So that was just something that like, it was like a, a, a coming together, an alignment of like just your passion um, and your talent, your abilities, all lining up and next thing you know i'm here you know just doing it you know like i didn't wake up and be like hey i want to be a film critic it was just kind of like oh that's a thing that's a lane for us for for people that look like me and i was like wait a minute i don't really see a lot of black critics either you know and the critics that i did see you know the richard ropers the you know and all that roger eberts and stuff i'm like that space did not feel like it was for me because they out here writing whole essays and they talking about the cinematography of the soundtrack of the, and I'm like, bro, like, is it good? Is it bad? <laughs> like, should I go see it? Like, let me know. So I was like, you know what? I got to be like Thanos, you know, I got to just do it myself, you know? And, and it just kind of led me into that whole path of being like, you know what, <clears throat> do my reviews my way. I'm going to do my videos my way. And Hey, it might not be for everybody, you know, cause I like to do things spoiler free. I don't really like to ruin things for people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want people to experience it themselves, but at the same time, I want people to feel like, yo, I'm that friend that tells you about a movie without ruining it. And then now you can go watch it and feel more comfortable, you know? Um, but then, you know, like it just grows in different ways and I'm, I'm here for it. So yeah, I'm a movie lover, TV lover, and I'm just having the, the time of my life being able to express it. Absolutely, man. And that's amazing. And what I've noticed about, you know, I would say probably the last 10, 11 years or so is that like when it comes to YouTube, We've seen so many people such as yourself kind of like give their take on film and stuff like that, that they've become like the new tastemakers for movie reviews and stuff like that. It's not just the traditional, you know, Cisco Ebert and Roper, for example. Like now you have people such as yourself. You have um, you have Double Toasted, for example. Uh, you have Chris Stuckman and like, and like a few other YouTubers who are now making, you know, that lane. I mean, like I, for the longest time, I was the biggest fan of uh, Collider. Um, cause it was like an amalgamation of different, like, uh, people who are just like into like fandom and stuff like that. So I feel like it's really cool that, you know, the YouTubers have now become, you know, the, the tastemakers of film reviews and TV reviews because they at, at heart are fans of, you know, film and television. Right. And mm-hmm. it's like, what better perspective to get it from than a fan? Because, you know, sometimes, you know, some people may want to have that more analytical approach than they sure. want. They may want to know the, the technical stuff, but for the people who are just the casual moviegoer who are contemplating on whether or not they should see this movie for a popcorn night, you know, they can go to people such as yourself and get your take on it. And it's almost like you're very conversational with this. It. So it's just like, okay, this guy gets it. All right, cool. Yeah. He knows my taste, the way he's breaking it down. Cool. All right. Yeah, I'm going to go see it. Cool. So I think it's really dope that, you know, we now or, or uh, people such as yourself now have that lane where, you know, you're looked to to, you know, go to this movie premiere or or to do your breakdown of this movie. That way people are more informed because they want to hear from people who are like them in so many different aspects and what have you. So I think it's really cool that you now have that lane and that you now get to express that towards others. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I mean, that was kind of the goal. right? <clears throat> like. Um, I didn't want to, I'm not the, 
you know, I, I've been to film school and uh, let me hit you over the head with all my, uh, you know, technical lingo and stuff. No, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I had to learn some of that, not formally, but, you know, like, I had to learn what cinematography was. I didn't know what that was. We see it, we know it, but I didn't know what it was. So mm -hmm. now that I get it, I can add a little something, you know, to my reviews. But at the same time, I still want it to be relatable to people. Mm -hmm. You know, I still need to talk to people. And it's so funny you mentioned that because I remember, um, I won't name any names or organizations, but <laughs> I had tried to apply to this one uh, critic group. And one thing that they were telling me was like, you shouldn't be telling people if they should go see the movie or not. You should just grade the movie. And I was like, but they asked me if I should, if they should go see it. Like, why shouldn't I answer the question of the people that are following me? Like, if that's what the people want, that's what I'm gonna give them, you know? Right. But that's, that's kind of like where I started to learn that there was a bit of a disconnect with the traditional critic mm -hmm. versus like the more new age critics with social media and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, because we do have different expectations. We do have different approaches to film. No, neither one's better than the other. It's just about like, yo, we're just offering something different. So um, I was happy to, you know, bring that to the table. Right, for sure. And, you know, kind of kind of bouncing off of that, do you feel like, like in your experiences, like do you feel as though um, there's a sort of a uh, high society mentality, so to speak, when it comes to the more traditional critics versus just, the everyday fan who happens to do reviews and stuff like that and kind of gives a more conversational approach to it? Oh, 100%. Um, I think that it is, unfortunately, because of a filter that we've had for decades, mm -hmm. for a long time, if you really think about it, and you could look at anything like the Oscars, for mm -hmm. example. Um, think about the fact that, like, if I'm not mistaken, Black Panther was, like, the very first comic book movie that was mm -hmm. nominated for best picture. Mm -hmm. You mean to tell me like other comic book pictures weren't good enough, you know, but like part of that is because for a long time, the opinion and perspective of good film mm -hmm. has been through the lens of older white men. Mm -hmm. So whenever older white men for decades are saying like, no, this movie is more superior than this one. Mm -hmm. But then again, we don't realize the fact that, that those same men are purposely or intentionally, or even if it's on accident, they're not watching other things. Mm -hmm. They're watching things that cater to them and what they like and what the previous older white men taught them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times it's kind of the, the analogy I like to give is kind of like with um, either uh, uh, basketball or football, you know, and you know that there's a traditional point guard there's a traditional way to be a quarterback in mm -hmm. the pocket but then all of a sudden when you have like a michael vick or a russell westbrook mm -hmm. it's kind of like oh my gosh like what is going on that's you not know, how you play that's not how you play the <laughs> not position, my point guard at the same time <laughs> they drop in triple doubles and they win in super bowls you yeah. know so it's kind of <clears> like <throat> um that's that's kind of like what i wanted to do mm -hmm. i wanted to come in and really challenge a lot of that stuff. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I'll watch old movies and don't get me wrong. Like I told, like, for example, um, Hitchcock psycho, I think mm -hmm. that's a perfectly made movie for that time, right. you know, but I'll watch something like taxi driver by Scorsese. Mm -hmm. And I'll be like, it ain't that good. Right. You know, I know y'all saying it's a masterpiece, but I'm mm -hmm. like, the writing is a little shoddy. Some yeah. of the stuff don't make sense. It don't add up. Like, 
what are y'all watching here? Right. And again, it's because of that conditioning, because you've been told by these powers that be that this is what a good movie is. And because it's been considered good for so long, but at the same time, I'm like, how many black people have reviewed that movie? How many Hispanic people have reviewed that movie? Mm -hmm. How many people like under the age of 40 have mm -hmm. watched that movie and, you know, given it a critical eye, mm -hmm. you know? And that's why I'm kind of like, um, there's definitely a separation in terms of like the approaches mm -hmm. to perceiving it. So yeah, you might have like the purists, but I always want to question people in terms of like, how did you come about your taste in movies? You know, like, who do you look up to that creates the standard, you know, and it's, it's not a good or bad thing, but it's something we should be aware of. If the majority of people that inform your taste are only older white men, I think that's something you have to evaluate, mm -hmm. you know, and, and if, it, it, you know, because it, again, in the industry, uh, there's a huge disparity where like you don't have a lot of representation from people making the films to people even being in the films. Mm -hmm. um, and that also goes to the people critiquing the film. So, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a lot deeper. It's a long history. Um, but that's a long answer for your quick question. No, no, I, I appreciate that so much because like it kind of goes into detail about some of the things I want to talk about, you know, later. At, um, but one of the things that you did bring up was Scorsese actually. Yeah. And with Scorsese, he, I feel like he's part of that old school, you know, tradition that you're, you're referring to, because I remember was it either sometime last year or two years ago, he made this comment about superhero movies not being cinema and what happened, right. which I think is very subjective because art yes. in general is subjective. It is. And it's like, okay, you, you say that's not cinema, fine, your opinion, mm -hmm. but 80% of your movies are just mafia flicks. They and are. we've seen those how many times? They are. And, you know, you're basically kind of, if you, if you really want to break it down, like you're basically portraying Italian stereotypes. And you're getting Oscar nominations over it, yeah. right? So it's just like, how how is your brand of film any different, you know, with that logic in mind from like the same old superhero movie over and over again? Yeah. And like, I don't say that to shame him. I just say that to no, say it's okay. that you can shade him. That's fine. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, that's fine. I had no problem shading him because I was like. There was a time when like westerns were like yeah. comic book movies yeah. and they were not taken seriously. Butch you know, but then later mm -hmm. later they were like, "Oh man, the good, the bad, the ugly. Oh, beautiful." You know. So it's kind of like things change over time. But again, right. who is informing Scorsese? Exactly. Where is he getting his mindset of what is cinema? Right. You know, like <clears throat> do you think Get Out was cinema? Did you even see Get Out? Right. You know, like, so it's kind of like, I, I get it that they have like this uh, heritage and legacy and everything. And I'm, I respect it. That's fine. But at the same time, I'm like, yo, you are also coming from a very limited perspective. Mm -hmm. You don't even watch comic book movies. Exactly. Why am I taking your, you know, your opinion mm -hmm. and giving it more weight? When you haven't even like, that's like me. I don't like musicals. That's just not my thing. Mm -hmm. But it's also why I stay in my lane and don't go review them. Right. Right. I don't go commenting on them. Like, I, don't get me wrong. I love La La Land. I thought that was a beautiful movie. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit here and be like, y'all should listen to me about musicals because I've literally watched maybe like five. <laughs> you right. know, so it's kind of like, yo, that ain't your lane. If exactly. somebody was like, man, I'm making an Italian movie and blah, blah, blah. Hey, man, where's Scorsese at? Somebody needs his opinion on this right now. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like, bro, 
it's all movies. Right. You know, and it's going to be cinema for different types of people. And you have to acknowledge and respect that too. <clears throat> yeah, big facts. Big facts on that. And I feel like his mentality is kind of part of the reason why, you know, that whole Oscar so white thing trended a couple years ago. Yeah. And, and I don't know, I'm just getting flashbacks right now to the Oscars from like two years ago, the one where Black Panther was nominated because uh-huh. that was the first time I've watched the Oscars in like 20 years, like literally. Just, yeah. That's something I typically watch. Even when Three Six Mafia won the award for best uh, song in a film or whatever for uh, Hustle and Flow, I didn't watch that. I just heard about. It. I'm like, okay, cool, good for them. That's a win for hip hop. Mm-hmm. But um, going back to the 2019 thing, like, I felt like they had an opportunity, and by that I mean the Oscar committee to like make some breaking ground. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because like I remember a few of the movies that that were nominated or in that category were Black Panther, of course, and then you also have Black Klansman from Spike Lee. Um, you had the Green Book, um, you had a few others, and then they ended up giving the award to the Green Book. And to me, it was a cop-out because it was the safest choice because you have a white savior film with a, with a black gay pr- uh, protagonist, which is basically you're checking off your diversity Check box off. right there. Yep. And it's like, you know, they're touring together in the rural South. And mind you, I haven't seen the movie, but I'm basically guessing that at the end of the movie, the, 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 the ignorant Southern redneck white guy and the gay black man come together and they end racism, basically. You know what I mean? Like, how many times have we seen that trope in Hollywood? Like, if they really wanted to make ground, like, I, and I don't know, maybe it's my subjectivity to Black Panther, but I feel like that should have won the award because of how much dialogue it created, the, uh, the, the, how, how well the, the, the movie was written, uh, the fact that you had a diverse cast who had well-defined roles, and, like, there are no type of stereotypes that are, that are portrayed whatsoever. Like, there are so many opportunities to, to break ground. And then also, I also wondered, you know, if you're going to nominate Black Panther for Best Picture, how come we didn't get one nomination for Ryan Coogler for Best Director or, or him and Joe Robert Cole for Best Written Screenplay Something. or even, it up. even even like a Best Supporting Best Actor. Best Ensemble. I thought, I thought Michael B. Jordan was going to get a Best Supporting Actor thing for sure because like that was like the main character that everyone was talking about. Yeah. But like, I don't know. It, it was just weird to me. It was just weird. But. Anyways, I say all that to say that <laughs> the Oscars needs to fix up, in my opinion. Like, they, they really need to uh, have a handle of who is, who are, who's nominating these movies. Like, what, what, did, what does the room look like, the demographics? If it's a whole bunch of 50-year-old white guys, that mm-hmm. needs to change. Like, there needs to be more diversity in those rooms. And it's not just about diversity in front of the camera, but behind the camera as well. So 100%. that the yeah. work can be recognized. And, like, I don't want this year's Oscars to be a thing where okay, we're going to give all the black actors all the awards because of what happened to George Floyd. You get a token year. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that's literally what they did with the Grammys this past year. It's like, I've never seen so many black artists nominated. It's all because of black, black pain and black pipe. And then even mm. after all that, Killer Swift ends up winning album of the year. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's yep. like, is yep. it really a win? It's just like, no, nah, like give, give people their flowers when they hear. Right. For and, sure. you know, and the same could go for chat with Bozeman, which we'll talk about later. But like, I feel like he's going to end up getting the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom only because of the fact that he's now deceased. I, I would only disagree with that because he was actually fantastic he was. in that movie. Like, he was. Whether he was alive or past, like, mm-hmm. he should have been – he would have been my top pick, mm-hmm. period, because my man put it all on the line. And I've mm-hmm. seen, I want to say, like, 85% of all his movies. I think I got, like, two or three I haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. but. This by far was definitely his best performance, and I was just like, he should have won it. Period. So, right. 
Right. You know. And I definitely, I definitely feel that, that way as well. I just feel like when it comes to actors who have now passed on, I feel like that's when people want to give them the flowers yeah. or, or put them on a high, higher pedestal than they were before. And it's just like, I think it makes me feel conflicted in a way because I, I know you. just by watching that movie, that's an Oscar worthy performance for sure. Yeah. Dead or alive. But yeah. because of how I know how the entertainment industry is when it comes to, you know, posthumous awards and what have you, it's like, okay, it's like he or she is going to get this award, but had they been alive, would right. they still have gotten the award? And that's where I get conflicted because right. we've seen right. so many times throughout history that certain actors don't get their just due or certain musicians don't get their just due until after the fact. And mm-hmm. I, it's such a disservice to the actor or the performer or whomever the case may be. Yeah. 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 That, 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 that's just my, my take on it. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's keep it moving though. Um, so as you, you know, gain traction with your, your film reviews and, and uh, just your take on films and what have you and television shows, you've also um, been able to interview like different celebrities as you've made your rounds and what have you. Um, so tell me about um, your first celebrity interview and what you took away from that experience. Man, um, man, my very first one, that's going to be kind of hard to remember. I think it was uh, a Case for Christ movie or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't like a lot of name brand actors or whatever in there. I was just doing it because I was geek that anybody would give me a red carpet, you know, to like go do an interview. You know, right. I mean, they put me at the end of the red carpet, but mm-hmm. you know, whatever. That's kind of what happens with black journalists anyway. Um, and then I think I did like uh the the super troopers or something like that. Yes. The, the the cast from them. Right. Um, but my the one that I count the most mm-hmm. is when I had Chadwick. Oh, like man. when I was able to interview Chadwick on the red carpet in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh that was for Marshall. Um mm-hmm. I thought I could stop my career right there. I was like, I'm done. I I, I made it, y'all. Like, I'm, I'm good. good. I'm you good. know, like <laughs> this is before Black Panther came out. I was like, I right. made it, you know. But um, but yeah, I mean that was that was something, and you know, there's so <laughs> much to learn um just as a interviewer, because being a critic is one thing, being an interviewer is a whole different thing. Like you have to spark up a connection on the spot with someone that is already tired probably because they've been doing interviews all day. Um, you want to be memorable. You want to give something good for the audience at the same time. You want to ask interesting questions. You got to be on your feet just in case something changes, you know, on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of different things um, that happen and go through that um, process, but it's, it's, it's really fun. Uh, I like the challenge of it, you know, like I still get nervous sometimes like, oh, yeah. man, I got to I got to make this question count, you know, right. or whatever. But it's um, it's an awesome experience, you know, and like, mm-hmm. my goodness, if you can actually get some gold from one of those questions, it's mm-hmm. it's priceless. Oh, yeah, I can definitely imagine as well. <clears throat> um, now, you mentioned um, you mentioned how. You, when you're uh, when you've been interviewing here and there, like sometimes you may have to get um, your spot at the end of the red carpet, and mm-hmm. you know that's unfortunately how they do some black journalists, and that actually leads me to my next question. Actually, mm-hmm. um, so you know, with that being said, um, when it comes to y- your role as a critic and as a journalist, 
uh, within film and television, like what type of barriers have you had to face as a black critic and as a black journalist? Um, there have been a couple things. I mean, okay, I'll give you one example. If you go to my YouTube channel and look at all my celebrity interviews, mm -hmm. they're going to have one thing in common. Uh, a lot of them, if not most of them, are black. Right. Uh, and that's one of the downfalls of um, just being in the industry is that, mm -hmm. you know, it's still kind of segregated in mm -hmm. a sense. Um, there's this weird chicken and the egg situation that happens where it's kind of like, okay, you need the talent when you get the talent to do, you know, whatever work you got to do. And that gets you the numbers. And then, but then to get the talent, you need the numbers, right? Like you can't go up to a publicist or to a PR company and be like, yo, I just started. Can I interview Denzel Washington? No. But if you got like a million subscribers, a hundred thousand, whatever, they could be like, oh, okay. You, you're somebody. Right. You know, oh, you have a track record. Okay, you're so because you got the numbers, mm -hmm. we can give you the talent. And because I have the talent, now I have something, you know, the material to like go bring to my audience and get more numbers. But how do you start that if you don't have the numbers? You know what I'm saying? So it's like that weird chicken and the egg thing. And for a lot of black journalists, especially, and actually it happens in all different minorities too, because Hispanic uh, journalists, they only get Hispanic talent, you know, black journalists, we only get, if we're lucky, uh, black talent, um, you know, and it's like, it's not until we, we cross yet another threshold, which is ridiculous because there have been times that, you know, like I just mentioned, you need the numbers, right? I've seen people with like a fraction of what I bring to the table in terms of followers, reach and stuff like that. And they sitting down with Robert Downey Jr. And I'm like, wait, what? How you get that? You ain't, you ain't got a following. Your website is garbage. Like, who do you know? You know what I'm saying? So it, it's, it's one of those things where it's kind of like, you don't want to call it one way but it does look a certain way right you know i don't want to be like man all these pr companies are racist i don't want to say that right but i'm like yo when you look at the results mm -hmm. why do i only have access to just black talent and then if i say like hey i've talked to sam jackson uh, uh jamie fox charlize theron can i talk to uh, you know robert downey jr ah <laughs> uh, maybe not but you can talk to this director that don't nobody know. Oh, my gosh. What am I supposed to do with that, though? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you want me to do with that? Like, how, how am I supposed to follow up that lineup with this person that is unknown and no one is really checking for? You know, so it, it's um, there are definitely challenges with that, um, you know, and, and they come in different forms, you know. But I would say the biggest issue is just the fact that, like, you can excel with your own ethnicity if it lines up with the movie but the moment you try to like get a little higher and more diverse mm -hmm. that's when you're going to start reaching some um some barriers unless you just come with like undeniable you know presence you know you're like yo look at my resume look at my followers look at my reach look at the hits on my website Look at, look at the, look at all of this. Mm -hmm. You can't deny me now, you know, but it, it, it's, it's jacked up because it's almost like saying I got to be rich just so that I can get the basic opportunity that you give into the average person. That's not even like middle class. Right. So that's, <coughs> that's the barrier I would say that's there. 
Right. And it's interesting you say that as well, because, you know, you can equate it to just like real life in general. Like, let's say you're working in the corporate space as a, as a black person. It's like you have to work twice as hard than your white yeah. counterpart to get you the do. same role as your white counterpart. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, white mediocrity, me, sorry, white mediocrity can often be celebrated. Whereas even when it comes to black excellence, it's not recognized in a more commercial or white space, whatever yeah. you want to call it. So, you know, it's interesting to hear that um, within the, within the uh, black journalistic space as uh, when it's, when it comes to um, interviewing celebrities and what have you, because mm-hmm. I guess the networks or whomever, like whomever's in charge of, you know, handling all that, they're thinking, okay, um, we want to reach out to this African-American demographic. So let's get the black journalists to, yeah to interview this person and that yeah. person and what have you. And, and the, like, the irony is the majority of the people that follow me are white. <laughs> there you go. Like the vast majority. I got, you know, a, a combined like about 300,000 fans. It, 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 like a vast majority are white. Right. A vast, vast majority. And I'm sitting here like, hello, this is what they like. Like, yeah. can you give me stuff that they like? Because if I get too black then i'm yeah. too woke and then all of a sudden they're leaving you know right. whatever i don't care about that personally right. um but at the same time it's like can i get stuff because guess what black folks like white folks you know content too yeah. like, we like a lot of stuff i mean we, yeah we yeah. like our black content but we like a lot of things too you know so yeah <laughs> and and yeah that kind of goes into because there's so much i want to ask you Vic, just based on your platform and what you talk about and what have you because um i feel like when it comes to like whether it's a black journalist or, or, or just a black movie co or whatever the case may be, I feel like black people often get pigeonholed into yeah. liking only black things. Yeah. And if you like things outside of that, then you're perceived as a multitude of things. Like like if you're if you're somebody who watches like let, let's just say you watch Grey's Anatomy, for example, mm-hmm. as a black person. Mm-hmm. By other black people, they may call you whitewashed just because there's not a majority black cast in there. Yeah. And then by white people, you, you'll be like, oh, I didn't expect that. Right. Oh, you're different. It's right. just like, right. like, can I just like what I like? Can, I, can you be human? Can you be human? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, if I want to talk about some sociopolitical stuff, I can talk about that stuff too. But mm-hmm. if I just want to talk about, you know, like Mortal Kombat, then let me talk about Mortal Kombat. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's That's it. yeah. not difficult to navigate through those spaces. Like, at the end of the day, like, you know, there are certain things that we're defined within our skin color, but it's not always just skin color that defines us mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. i feel like a lot more people need to have that uh mentality so to speak for sure yeah agreed and kind of going into that now um growing up and you absorb a lot of contact a lot of content as as we discussed mm-hmm. uh but just growing up just within the black space at least um what type of uh like what type of shows or movies did you grow up watching that had a majority black cast in them I mean, I really watched a lot of different things. Like, you know, my family, um, we come from a Haitian background, so mm-hmm. we didn't have a lot of, there was a bit of a separation in terms of uh, the views that like a traditional African-American family would have versus a foreign, you know, Haitian family. So mm-hmm. for me, we didn't have like, you know, uh, I don't want to say we didn't have black pride, but it, it, it wasn't a black focus like that. You know what I'm saying? Like it was, it was more like you're Haitian first mm-hmm. before you're a African-American. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like that's just the mentality. So mm-hmm. for me, I mean, I was watching I Love Lucy, Dick Van Dyke, The Jeffersons, Different right. Strokes, you know, Silver <laughs> Spoons, uh, um, Family Matters, Growing Pains. Like I watched everything. Right. You know, if it was on TV, I watched it. So right. um, I, 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 I and, and, and the thing is, it kind of took a while for me to eventually start watching more black focused things like Mm -hmm. once i became a little older you know teenager and whatever Mm -hmm. then i was like oh okay now that i'm more assimilated into african-american uh you know uh society Mm -hmm. um that's when i started you know watching more traditional you know african-american things like um so yeah, I mean, like I probably missed the boat on a couple, uh, uh, you know, traditional things. Like it took me a while to watch Coming to America, you right. know, because it just was not something that we would watch like that. Like we would right. watch Terminator before we watched Beverly Hills Cop. Right. Not to you know, it's not to diss it. It was just yeah, that's what we was watching. You that's know, fine, so yeah. it wasn't until a lot later that I was like, oh, okay, let me go catch up. And my wife still gives me crap about this, but <laughs> I've never sat through. I mean, I've seen the movie, but I've mm-hmm. never sat through the color purple from beginning to end. Right. You know, but I'm like, that's because we never really watched it like that. Mm-hmm. Her family, you know, she's African-American. Mm-hmm. Her family, pff, it's a staple. Right. <laughs> you know, she could quote every line and stuff, right. you know. So that, that's that's kind of the difference. So I think that um, that also kind of just helped me in terms of, you know, being diverse with stuff. I mean, I watch anime. I watch, you know, all types of different things. Sci-fi. Yeah. You know, whatever. It's a horror. Right. You know, I'm all over the place with it. So, um, but yeah, I, I didn't really have like a specific black, you know, genre, anything. I was watching it all. Right. And it's interesting that you bring up your, <clears throat> pardon me, bring up your Haitian background because uh, for myself personally, I'm a uh, half Ghanaian, half Nigerian. So Ghanaian on my father's side and Nigerian on my mother's side. Mm-hmm. And we're in Canada. Okay. Um, and before, before coming to Canada, I mean, before I was even born, they... They lived in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. That's how they first met. Mm-hmm. And basically, they had my, my brother and my sister over there first. Then they came over to Canada, and then they had me. So we came over, you know, abs- absorbing content um, from the African-American experience. Mm. And what some people may not realize, whether it's over here in Canada or in America, is that the Black experience between Canada and America is completely different. Mm. Um, because when it comes to the Black Canadian experience, uh, we, for the most part, I should say, like with the exclusion of, I would say, Nova Scotia, because they're more of descendants of African-Americans who migrated via the Underground Railroad. Um, a lot of the black Canadians that you'll come across are of immigrant, immigrant backgrounds. So just mm-hmm. like you'll have anyone who may be like, let's say in America, they may be of, uh, they may be Indian American, they may be Chinese American, whatever the case may be. It's just like that over here, but with black people. So you're going to have a lot of people who are from Ghana. You're going to have a lot of people who are from Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are some Haitians within Ottawa, which is like Southern Ontario, basically. My goddaddy is up there in Canada, oh, too. Oh, okay. Okay, Montreal. Montreal. Okay, yep. yeah, that's huge over there for Haitians and Congolese yeah. people in particular. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's so many different uh, black diasporas within, within Canada, especially if we're talking about Toronto, which is where I'm from. Um, so for us, like, yeah, we saw people who looked like us, Mm-hmm. Like just visually, mm-hmm. but they weren't of the same culture mm-hmm. because the mm-hmm. culture is completely different, right? Which is totally fine, but right. we still like them just for the fact that oh. they look like us. They're providing entertainment. Yeah. We saw a little bit of ourselves in them here and there, but then we're also very diverse with the things that we watch. Like mm-hmm. one of the first movies I ever watched, and I don't think I should have been watching this as a kid, but I loved action movies. Was uh, was Bloodsport with Jean Claude Van Damme? Yeah, and so like for me, 
because that was one of the first movies I ever watched and internalized, I was really big into martial arts movies. That spawned mm-hmm. into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That spawned yep. into Three Ninjas. Yep. That spawned into Rumble in the Bronx with Jackie Chan. Like, and it spawned into so many different things. Like, I was huge. Like, when it came to cartoons, Batman the Anime Series was my joint. Um, of course, Ninja Turtles, once again, was my joint. X-Men was my joint. Um, Spider-Man from the 90s was my joint, et cetera, et cetera. So I had, like, a wide palette of things that I liked. Mm-hmm. Not because, you know, oh, it's a black guy, so I got to watch. But it's like, no, it's because I genuinely like these things. Sure. Now, if I like it, and there just so happens to be a black person in it, even That's better. Cool. You know what I mean? Like, Storm of the X-Men, like, probably my favorite female superhero of all time. Like, no one could do a soliloquy just like her before throwing a lightning bolt at somebody. Like, that's mm-hmm. some Shakespearean stuff right there. And then, you know, in the later 90s, you had Static Shock. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, a black superhero who is in a pretty diverse community. Like, this is so meta. Like, it, like nobody, like, I feel like Static Shock as a character is very underrated in that regard because he kind of paved the way for this whole diversity movement that we're now seeing today. But I liked it just because of the fact that he was young, he was black, um, he had a diverse group of friends, and, like, he had a cool superhero set. Like, to me, he kind of, he had, he had shades of, like, Spider-Man and stuff like that. But, again, people that I can get behind. Uh, Jackie Chan Adventures, a cartoon. Very underrated cartoon, in my opinion. And, again, it showed diversity, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, like, I would say, like, I, ha- I had somewhat of a similar, similar experience to you when it comes to viewing content on TV, just liking something for what it is. And if it just happens to have black people, cool, but yeah. that's not the main basis of why I'm watching it. So, right. so right. yeah, it's very interesting to, to hear that perspective. And you mentioned that you're an anime fan as well. So I have a question about that later on, but, like, <laughs> okay. I- I'm glad that you pointed that out because, like, I have so much to ask about that too. Um, but... You know, kind of going with this whole, you know, representation thing within television, um, as you got older and, like, you, you're a bit more, I guess, like, analytical and what have you, um, did you notice um, pretty early on or maybe a bit later that there was a bit of, that there was a lack of parity when it came to black representation? And what I mean by that is, did you notice that there was a lack of uh, black representation that was outside of the stereotypical norm? So, like, outside of the gangsters outside of, you know, let's form this dance group to save the rec center outside of black oppression. Like, did you ever notice that there was a lack of, uh, a lack of parody outside of those tropes? Um, not when I was younger. I mean, like, I, I don't even think I, uh, <laughs> got woke until, <laughs> um, I went to college and I, <laughs> it's a funny story because I remember, um, my roommate who was my best friend at the time, you know, he, he had came in the room and he just started asking me all these questions. Like, he was like, yo, do you understand the representation of this? Do you understand the social dynamic of this? I'm like, bro, what the hell are you talking about? What is going on? And he was like, man, I just took sociology 101, and it just blew my mind. I was like, oh, no, nah, you ain't about to trump me on this. I went and took sociology 101, blew my mind. And once I started, you know, they call it the um, sociological imagination. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is basically like, it, it, it's, it's how you view society, you know, and a lot of us have different imaginations. So for example, if you're the type of person that doesn't believe that racism exists, that's according to your sociological imagination, mm-hmm. right? Um, and like, it was something that started to inform me, you know, because once I took sociology, I started taking Afro-American uh, studies. Um, I started taking like a whole uh, philosophy. I started taking like all these different things um, in, in college. And it definitely started making me more 
I mean, again, this had nothing to do with movies or film, mm -hmm. but it started creating the groundwork um, so that by the time I started, you know, analyzing films, I could bring all that stuff in there. You know, I could bring all that information in mm -hmm. um, and it just adds to my perspective, you know, so when I'm sitting here. So, for example, with Green Book, mm -hmm. you know, one of the I, I called my review um, that Green Book was racially safe, mm -hmm. you know, and it was racially safe because it was one of those things where, yeah, it would bring up race. It would bring up these uh, uh, racially tense moments, but it got safe because it would water it down with some comedy or it water it down with some humor. So for me, I was like, you lose the impact because I'm sorry, if that traumatic experience happened to a black person, they not about to go laughing about some fried chicken five minutes later. Mm -hmm. They're still traumatized by that really messed up, jacked up situation. Mm -hmm. And that's why this movie is kind of garbage in that sense. <laughs> so it's like you had to kind of, like I had oh, to kind of get that foundation to even make that connection because if I had not, I just would have been like, oh, that was a fun movie. Right. That was that was great. I'm glad that they're friends. <laughs> you know, it, I would have never considered the other sides of it. So mm -hmm. um, that's that's it, it was definitely a post college <laughs> uh, thing for me mm -hmm. um, to become more aware of it. Right. And yeah. And, and that's a that's a good point you make, because for me, I noticed that once I got into college myself as well, that's when I became a bit more analytical of films and what have you. Because before, like, I've always loved movies, right? And so, like, whenever I watch a movie, I just watch it for the entertainment factor. And if, every once in a while, I may come away with, come away with it with a, an important message. I'm like, oh, wow, that was expected. That was really good. But, like, for the most part, it was just like, entertainment for me, right? And it's funny because when I got into high school, that's when I started to be, become a bit more analytical with, with music, specifically hip-hop and lyrics and just kind of dissecting lyrics and what have you. Uh, and I felt like I brought that same approach once I really uh, got myself into films, uh, like just from the analytical approach in college and what have you. And I started noticing um, that, you know, a lot of the films that I'm watching, like with black people in it, it's for the most part, like if it's like a majority black cast, I would say, then you would get into stereotypical tropes. So it would be the oppression movie. It would be yeah. The, the gangbang movie, yeah. it, uh, like Bloods and Crips and stuff like that. It would be the Let's Save the Rec Center movie. It would be the uh, the White Savior movie and stuff like that. Or it would just be, you know, a Tyler Perry over-the-top drama fest, basically. And it's just like, I started noticing these things, and I'm like, I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no representation of, you know, myself, because I don't see any of myself within these films and what have you. So, like, I felt like, once I started to make that 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 correlation, I noticed I started to distance, distance myself away from those movies because, to me, it felt like a form of like programming and 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 like almost like borderline brainwashing in the sense that you as a black person, no matter where you're from, like whether you're Canadian or or French or whatever the case may be, it's just like this is who you are, and it's just like no, like my life and like my my identity as a black person is not defined through plight or through stereotypes or whatever the case may be. Like, black people, just like any other group of people in the world, are very diverse, not just with their skin tone or whatever, or where they come from, but just with their personality traits. Like, we're not all a, one, uh, a monolith. Like, we're not a singularity and what have you. So I felt like, you know, having that, I guess, awakening, you know, so to speak, it's just like, I, I felt like, you know, there, there should be more. 
Um, and I feel like a lot of people um, that I was talking to kind of had that same mentality as well, that we should have more, basically. Like, there's so much more to Black people than just, like, the standard stuff that we saw in the 90s. So, um, yeah, I just felt like that was a really important moment. And, like, I feel like I'm seeing a lot of that now. Um, but um, what I want to ask you, actually, is uh, over the years, um, we've only seen a handful of Black actors, like, Black lead actors, I should say, who have played roles that aren't associated with a Black stereotype. And I feel like that usually comes when you have actors like Will Smith or Denzel Washington, or even right now with uh, Michael B. Jordan, for example. Like, they're not always playing a stereotypical Black trope. They, they're literally playing a role that could be casted for, like, Antonio Banderas or Matthew McConaughey or something like that. Um, why is that, in your opinion? Um, I think, uh, you know, if you look at um, at least Denzel, um, one of the uh, best videos I've seen from him, it was like he was getting interviewed and they were just kind of like, you know, what was the uh, most important information or advice you got like coming into Hollywood? And, um, you know, he's been a huge fan of uh, Sidney Poitier um, coming in. And uh, I believe like Sidney Poitier told him basically like, you know, whatever that you allow them to cast you and like the first two, three roles or whatever, like that's what you're going to be. Um, and uh, he was given a, uh, <laughs> he was given a story about the, the N word that they can't kill. And it was like a movie that he was going to be in or that they wanted him in. And it, it was like this story of some black guy who they tried to hang him and he wouldn't die. And they tried to do this and, it, and he wouldn't die. And, you know, and it was just like, then I was like, no, like, I'm not going to do this, you know, um, because he just wanted to make sure that if he is going to be, a, you know, in a role, it mattered, you know. And I think um, it's it's a very similar thing for Chadwick, you know, Chadwick Boseman. Like, when you look at all his roles, he took things on that he really, really believed in. Like, he didn't just take a little role just to make some money and, you know, be an actor. Like, mm -hmm. this dude is the type of dude that, like, if he could, he would just go do Broadway because <laughs> he was an actor's actor. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, he went to school for acting. He was actually, he went for directing, but yeah. he ended up becoming an actor. So, um, you know, I think it's really just a personal choice. I think it's once you decide you're going to do this, um, you're going to do that. But at the same time, if there's not a lot of things offered, because uh, I think Anthony Mackie just came out and was talking about, like, when he first started, and this is the dude coming out of Juilliard, you know, it was Gangster 1 or 2. Like, what do you want? Pick one, you know, so. Papa Doc. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of like, it, it, it's a question of, like, what's available, what's mm -hmm. offered, and what you take. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, yeah, that's that's a very good point. That's a very good point because I feel like, you do have those handful of actors like a Will Smith, for example, who kind of were able to kind of, you know, deviate away from that. And maybe it was because of their, their past roles or what have you, or this, the amount of cachet that they, they, they've garnered in uh, Hollywood over the years. But I feel like, you know, in Hollywood, like you just have those stereotypical tropes where a casting director would be like, yeah, you're going to play that guy. And it's just like, have you not seen this person's resume? Have you not seen their demo reel? Like, they can do a lot more than sure. gangster number one or battle rapper number two. Like there's so much more, there should be like more, I guess like diversity in that regard when, when it comes to those roles. <clears throat> and I feel like when you have someone like Michael B. Jordan, for example, who comes out and says, 
I only want to do roles that a white guy would get. I understand exactly where he's come from. Um, unfortunately, he did get some flack from that because I feel like people didn't understand the context behind that. But if you really understand the nuance of what you're saying, it's like you, get, you really got to think about it. It's like when you see Arnold Schwarzenegger or whomever and they're you know in an action movie or anything that doesn't really have to heavily rely upon their race or anything like that, it's like that should be for every actor of every cultural background. Like when I'm watching Creed, I'm not watching you know, a black guy struggling or whatever, right? Like I'm watching a boxer whose father was a famous boxer who wants to, in a way, follow in his footsteps, but make his own legacy at the same time. You give that premise to any white actor and we're going to like fanboy and fangirl over it. But if it's a black guy, then it's like, well, is he on welfare? What? He lives pretty well. He works, he works an office job. Oh, I don't want to watch this. It's just like, would you like you would give that same courtesy to any other actor, but why not him? Like, why does he have to be the gangster? So, like, I don't know. It, it's just one of those things I've always thought about on a regular basis because, you know, again, I love film and I want to see the best representation possible for people who look like me. Um, like when it comes to film, because like we're now growing up in an era where we're being a lot more cognitive about what we see, and I think it's really important that messages like that get passed on in the generations going forward. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but yeah, going into that though, um, what I've noticed over the last decade now, it's something that me and a few of my friends have discussed and we like to call it the, the new black Renaissance, so to speak. And what I mean by that is we're now seeing a lot of actors in a lot of, in a lot of roles in television and film that deviate away from the norms that were set in like the eighties and the nineties, or maybe even in the seventies, if you want to include black exploitation as well. So we're now seeing, you know, shows like Dope, or sorry, not Dope, uh, Atlanta, for example. Shows like Atlanta, movies like Dope, or shows like Insecure, and other shows and movies of that ilk where we're seeing diverse black people. So it's not just, you know, I'm trying to get out the hood, or, or I'm going to save the rec center, or white savior trope. We're seeing diverse black personalities. Like, you go to Atlanta, for example, like the, the TV series, you see it, you see characters who are doing like a, a portrayal a satirical portrayal of hip-hop culture in america but also talking about things that happen within black america that often get left under the rug like the weird quirky black guy who's into anime or something like that like that that has never gotten shine ever at all up until maybe this decade now right um and you're talking about you know a show like insecure where you have two women who are the lead who are dark-skinned women like that doesn't really happen often and it's basically somewhat of a romantic comedy show, but they also navigate the space of, you know, trying to get a job in this millennial society that we're in now, like, or like how the millennial experience has been. And, you know, we, we may see shows like that for, for white counterparts, but not for black counterparts. So I think it's really important that we have shows like this. Um, but to that, I would ask you, like, what do you think about the new content that we've seen over the past 10 years with shows and movies like that, you know, dear white people and things of that nature. Like, what's your perspective on that? Um, I mean, pretty, pretty simple. I, I love it. Like, I'm here for everything and anything black. You know, like, I'm. <laughs> if at the end of the day, if you're giving black creators the space and opportunity to do what they got to do, mm -hmm. I'm for it. Like, mm -hmm. it ain't got to be complicated. Right. More. Exactly. <clears throat> and like for me, it's like really refreshing to see because. Um, I feel like I'm somebody, I'm kind of like a social butterfly. Like I, there's like a lot of things I like, like I'm really into hip hop music. 
I'm really into basketball, but I'm really into cartoons and anime and like pro wrestling and all that stuff, right? So it's just like, I want to see so many different avenues covered by so many other black people who may have those same interests as me, because there's a lot of us out there, you know? And I feel like it's, it's perfect that we now have those things within the lexicon of pop culture. Like some of these shows I just mentioned are some of the most popular shows that people are watching right now, whether it's on network television or whether it's on a streaming service or whatever the case may be. And I just love overall that there's so much uh, diversity. Like you can pick and choose what you want to watch, you know, like if you really want to watch like the, the, like the hipster stuff, then you have a show like Atlanta. But if you, if you want to watch some gritty street content, then you have a show like Snowfall. Like you don't have to watch it all, but you can now pick and choose. Like you don't, there's not this box anymore where you can only watch this and that's it to get the black experience. No, there is so much more now. And I couldn't be happier. I, I really couldn't. Um, it, it's perfect. Um, but one of the things I, I want to go into now like, that kind of leads into that is the quote unquote black nerd space, basically. And we've now seen um, a lot of, you know, black, quote unquote black nerd content creators who are now uh, getting more, more notoriety. And, not, and with that comes the exposure of that, I guess, subculture within black culture, essentially. And you're getting a lot of those people who are more outwardly of their love of comic books and more outwardly of their love of anime. Um, so for you, like, what do you think about that in, in general? Like, what, like, what's your overall take on that? Oh, I mean, once again, I love it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm a black nerd and I'm okay with that. And I yeah. like the fact that it is becoming more comfortable, you know, that that space is being created. Um, because a lot of times I'll have people come to my channel and be like, oh, my God. I didn't know another black nerd existed, you know, or, <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't know black people talked about this. So, right. you know, it, it, it's definitely a wonderful experience to know that, you know, again, you have like-minded people out there um, and that you have uh, similar interests and stuff. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and yeah, no, it's, it's funny because me and my sister, we were actually talking about this uh, yesterday, actually. And we were just talking about how like, we're, we're now glad that we're seeing more exposure of this, like in like the lexicon of pop culture. And the other day I, I saw a trailer for this new anime that, that Netflix has uh, called Yasuke, which is based on the first uh, African samurai. And I'm just like, man, at 10, 11, 12 years old, I would have like drooled mm-hmm. for this. You know what I mean? And like, mm-hmm. I'm glad the younger generation now has something like that. Cause for me, the first time I really saw, like a strong black anime character was Afro Samurai. Yeah. Like that was the first time I ever saw that. Yeah. Other than that, you had the boondocks, but that was more like satirical comedy, which is fine. Cause I love the boondocks, mm-hmm. but now seeing that within the anime world where we know now that black people love anime, it's like, thank you. <laughs> That's yeah. all we've been asking yeah. for. Yeah. <laughs> and what's even cooler is that I found out like a week ago that there's actually a, a black owned anime studio in Japan. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. I never knew that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, yeah, like, I, I love how that's a thing now. But um, even then, like, there's, there's still some difficulties that I'm still trying to navigate through. And, um, and again, there's a racial con- uh, context to it. Um, I often find that, you know, if a white person's a nerd, 
at worst, they're called a nerd. That's it. Open shut case. But with a with a black person being a nerd, it's not it's bad enough that like they get denigrated for being a nerd, but it's like then people will try and take their blackness away from them. You know, it's like, mm. oh, you're into that? Mm. Oh, that's for white people. Oh, you're a whitewash for liking that. And it's just like, how is it whitewash? Like we're talking about anime here. Like that's it's Japanese. Like it's not, <laughs> like it's not even white. <laughs> like, like what are we talking about here? But uh, my question to you is have you kind of encountered those 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 critiques before criticisms before just in um, general i i mean i know other people that have i haven't because right. i don't care right. <laughs> like i don't <laughs> like i don't i don't engage with people mm-hmm. that would come at me like that mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like I, I i try to make sure that my space where i put myself mm-hmm. is in a place where it's like you know safe so right. i'm I personally have not experienced that. And if I have, or if somebody's come at me, I pay, I barely pay it any mind. Right. <clears throat> yeah. I just, I find it interesting. Cause like I came across that, like when I was younger, like not now, like as I'm grown, because like my social circle is a lot more different now, obviously. But yeah, as a kid, I kind of came across that. I, I just found it weird. It's just like, like, why can't I just be me? Like I can like hoops and like Pokemon at the same time. Like it's not hard. It's not hard. Like I'm very multifaceted. Uh, but, I always thought that was interesting. Um, so me, you know, watching your channel over like, I don't know, maybe like, maybe like the last past year now or so, um, basically during COVID, um, I've noticed that you're quite the MCU fan. Yeah. Um, and it's very refreshing to see because like, I love the MCU. It's like, to me, it's like a soap opera. Like, like I love every minute of it. Um, when was your first foray into the MCU? Um, I mean, when it started, you okay. know, because like, I've been watching comic book movies since forever. Like I, <laughs> I've watched the old Fantastic Four movies. I've watched Spawn. I've watched Blade. I mean, if it's a comic book movie, I'm probably watching it. Um, I watch DC. I love the DC animated stuff. Um, it's just that the live action. It's like, like I wouldn't have a problem mm-hmm. being an equally as enthusiastic fan for DCU. It's just a mess. Mm-hmm. I'm like, people are like, how how come you don't do theories for dc i'm like based on what yeah like what am i making a theory on and they can't even get their act together <clears throat> you know so it's kind of like sorry it's not my fault that marvel you know and i'm not saying they're perfect they do have some faults too but right. they have a more interesting you know dynamic going on with their cinematic universe but um i mean you know i've been a fan of like all comic book related movies just period if it's a uh, uh, straight to DVD movie to a TV series to a you know big cinematic thing. I'm in there. No, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I think the first <coughs> part of me, the first superhero property I ever watched was, or co- sorry, comic book property. I should be more specific, depending on how you want to categorize it. Um, is the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like like open shut case? Like I was like, okay, I'm sold. Give me more. Give me more. And then that spiraled into X Men. And Spider-Man, Batman, of course. He's probably like my favorite superhero of all time. Um, and then a whole bunch of others. Uh, but yeah, what you're saying about the DC movies, I, I agree. Like, first of all, the anime movies are bomb. Like, I love the anime movies. Like, I feel like if they at least just like studied the animated movies and just incorporated aspects of that into the live action movies, they would be so much better off for it. Oh, yeah. And then what I keep telling my friends who are more DC fans than, MC, than, than the Marvel fans is that, and I, and I say this to him objectively, is that if DC had their own studios like Marvel does, 
and they had a producer figure like they like Marvel does for a Kevin Feige, then it would be a lot more condensed. But the problem is Warner Brothers are the ones who are making the final shots. It's not like Disney is going over to Marvel and be like, no, change that, change that. Let's add the Mickey Mouse logo right here. It's like, no, they let them do their own thing. They give them money, the money for it, and it's like, okay, do what you got to do. We'll, we'll view it, and then if you need to make some cuts, we'll let you know. But you guys got it. You guys know what you're talking about. When it comes to Warner Brothers, it's like, oh, yeah, no, let's change that. Oh, make it more like Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, they'll like that. It's like, no, just trust the creators in what they're doing, you know? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I'm with you on that, man. Like, I just feel like their, their movies are a mess. I feel like they want to make every DC movie like The Dark Knight because everybody wants dark nowadays. Oh, my God, it has to be dark. It has, not everything has to be dark, you know? Like, not everything has to be dark. Shazam doesn't have to be dark, you know? Uh, just like every movie just deserves its own tone based on what the character represents, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, it's a DC needs work. It needs work. And like, I want to see them succeed to be honest, yeah. because like it gives me more variety as, as far as what I want to watch. I love Marvel, but I love other things that come out as well. Like I think the boys is an amazing superhero series. I think um, umbrella Academy is pretty dope as well. You know, like, so as, as uh, comic book fans, the more variety we have, the more the more better off we'll be, and like everyone's gonna be winning at the end of the day, in my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, one movie out of the MCU that for me was a game changer, like just for a multitude of reasons, um, obviously was Black Panther. Um, it's funny because when Black pa- sorry when Black Panther was first coming out, before it came out, like leading up to its release, literally every episode of Cool Radio that I did was about Black Panther. Like, I had a segment of Black Panther in there just because, mm-hmm. A, I was excited about it, and B, it was making headlines everywhere. So it's like, I just so happen to be a fan of this stuff, so why not talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but um, for you, watching Black Panther, what was your first initial reaction to that film? Um, you know, it was eye-opening. Um, I mean, my introduction to... The Black Panther comics, the fact mm-hmm. that it was a thing, mm-hmm. you know, I think I got introduced to them late in the game. I was mm-hmm. 10 years old or something like that. You know, like at first I was reading Spider-Man right. comics and X-Men. But then when I saw like, wait a minute, y'all got a black man out here that I could see myself in. And and he's like better than everybody else. And he's rocking it and killing it. And that was it. You know, so then, of course, once. Um, you know, uh, Black Panther showed up on Civil War. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, you guys, like, I was, I know a lot of people were excited to see Spider Man show up. I was more excited about Black Panther. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> Y'all had me sold on that. I don't care if Spider Man's there. That's cool, but I'm sold on that. So, um, you know, to have the movie, it was, it was amazing. And then, I mean, it was so moving. Like, before the Black Panther challenge was a thing, I bought out a theater so that my whole community could come and watch it with me. Like that was before that, you know, it was trendy or whatever, right, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's again, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I'm doing this whole petition. It's one of the reasons why I'm so um, invested in making sure that the franchise is as successful as possible because I don't want it to be a fluke. I don't want it to be, um oh those black folks they just got lucky with that one movie mm-hmm. you know like ah they only got a gift 
with that uh, uh black you know the oscar nomination no like mm. this can be a huge franchise um and it can be more than just like whatever random fluke it, or, you know that some people might think mm-hmm. um so yeah like that that entire franchise right now is something uh that is very near and dear to my heart right yeah i i, I couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more um it's funny because uh, you said you got introduced to black panther like maybe like around 10 or 11 um for me i didn't get interested into black panther until 21 22 really and at this point in my life i've watched as many superhero cartoons as i as i possibly could have as many superhero movies i could have etc cetera, etc cetera. so finding out about black panther i almost felt like i was cheated yeah because like my boy he is the one who told me about black panther because he was dating this girl at the time who had the uh the uh the black panther miniseries that was on bet uh the animated one and he's telling me about oh there's a superhero who who's the king of his own country in africa and he has this thing called vibranium and it's like the rare substance on earth and and his country's never been colonized i was like whoa this is this is some next level shit right here. It's like, yeah, he's stronger than Captain America and he's, he's stronger than Iron Man or, or, or smarter than Iron Man. I'm like, oh, wow, okay, dope. I'm like, like where's he from? Like, like what comic book company? Is like like an independent one or whatever? He's like, nah, man, it's Marvel. I'm like, yeah. wait, whoa, 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 hold on. Marvel? Like the stuff that we grew up on? He's like, yeah, it's Marvel. I'm like, right. hold on. King of his own country. Never been colonized. Rare substance on Earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, smarter than Iron Man, stronger than Cap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And why are we just hearing about him now? Crime, criminal, criminal. What? Yeah. So, mind you, we watched it. We watched the miniseries. I was like, dope. I like it. I want to see more of this guy. And then years later, we hear that he's going to get his own solo title in Phase Two of the MCU. Mm-hmm. And I looked at that. I'm like, nah, that's not happening. That they are not going to make a film about a black man from Africa who has all this going on for him. And with a no, it's not happening. And then li- literally later on in that same press uh, conference, whatever, Chadwick Boseman comes out. And at this time, I'm familiar with him because I've already seen thir- um, 42, and I saw parts of um, Get On Up. So I'm like, oh, you're getting him. Okay, this might be happening. Mm-hmm. Might be happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then not only that, but like I eventually see the trailer for Civil War. And like I'm just curious to know what he looks like, what the suit looks like. And I saw it, I was like, oh, oh, oh my God. Oh, this is actually happening. Yeah. And like I feel like that's when like my extreme investment into the MCU began, to be honest. Because before then, I still watched every movie. Yeah. I watched every movie. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. All right, mm-hmm. dope. We're waiting for Thanos, but okay, cool. Mm-hmm. But when Black Panther got interjected into, I was like, "Oh, okay." This is every, every movie going forward is day one now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but it was it was it was amazing to see the movie. Was amazing to see. I could speak so much on it, but we'd be here all day. We don't have that much time, of course. Um, but one of the things um, that was a huge tragedy, of course, as we know, was the passing of Chadwick Boseman and what he meant for a lot of people. Whether it was his portrayal in Black Panther or other films. Um, because he played a lot of historical figures in his films. Like, it was a huge blow to a lot of people who were a fan of his work. And what was also a huge blow um, for a lot of people was the fact that Kevin, Kevin Feige announced that um, his role 
as T'Challa would no longer would, would not be recasted. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you first heard the news of that, what was your immediate reaction? I mean, I was I was shocked at the fact that um, it was so final. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was I was sitting here thinking like, okay, you know, I get it. Like y'all are gonna have to do what you got to do, and you know, you guys are gonna feel how you feel. I totally understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no expectations that they would even recast you know so soon like i'd be like or or even make a decision Mm -hmm. you know because they made this decision like he passed in august Mm -hmm. and they made this decision in december Mm -hmm. and they also postponed the movie so Mm -hmm. i was like okay if y'all postponing the movie that means you're gonna take some more time you're gonna do whatever you gotta do to get yourself together Mm -hmm. but when they came out during that uh, Disney investor movie uh, uh, session mm-hmm. and was like, we will not recast. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Like Marvel is incredibly calculated, especially Kevin Foggy. Mm-hmm. Whenever they say something, they look at every single word, unless it's like a live interview and you can catch them on their toes. If it's pre-planned like that, they know exactly what they said how they said it and why they said it. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was like, the, didn't come out and say, we're not going to recast for now. You didn't say for Black Panther 2, we're not going to recast. You didn't say that. Mm-hmm. You said, we're not going to recast the character, period, full stop. That's it. Mm-hmm. The problem that a lot of people have, though, is that they've assumed that they're also talking about Black Panther 2. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, yeah, if they say they're not going to recast, Obviously, that means Black Panther 2, but people are assuming they mean it's only for Black Panther 2. And I'm like, no, it's mm-hmm. indefinite. Mm-hmm. They are not recasting the role. Mm-hmm. That is what they said. That is what Kevin Foggy doubled down on in other interviews following up. And when I found that out, I was just like, oh, hell no. Like, <laughs> no, no, mm-hmm. no, no, no. If y'all wanted to take y'all time, fine. But you're going to tell me that you're about to make this decision forever and then when they followed up and was like oh but it's cool we're gonna explore the world of wakanda and uh all the other characters and i'm like the supporting characters you about to turn this into gotham or something? <laughs> like what are you doing like when when have you ever had a cinematic movie that was coming off of the heels of a huge first movie about the supporting characters and doing world building. I'm like, that sounds like a Disney Plus show, which I want. Give me, give me, a, I've been saying we need a Wakanda series forever. That's matter of fact, I even made a video saying, like, yo, y'all should delay Black Panther 2, give us a Disney Plus series, make it about Wakanda, and build up Shuri. That's fine. Just say, like, T'Challa's missing. We don't know where he's at. Maybe he's kidnapped. Maybe he's lost. I don't know. Whatever. Hey, Shuri, we need you. Train her up. Do whatever. Follow the comics. Mm-hmm. Now, by the time Black Panther 2 comes around, whether you want to recast or not, we can have Queen Shuri. We already all there. And then if you want to recast later, you can do that. But that was, uh, you know, hearing that news was one of the reasons why um, I actually went on the official Black Panther Facebook page because, again, the news was just startling to me. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of wrote my feelings out on the post. Mm-hmm. And when I wrote my feelings, out, I was like, man, this, this feels like a huge blow, like to never recast it like this. I don't like this, you know? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden 
it was getting a thousand likes. It became like one of the most liked posts on their official post. As it should and be. I was like, oh, steps. I didn't know people felt the way I felt. So it took me some time, but like I put all my thoughts together in a video and I called it, you know, like, is Marvel making a huge mistake? Um, and why they should recast the Chala. And, you know, I've just, I just kind of gave my, my whole connection. Like, yo, Chadwick's affected me personally and, you know, uh, uh, professionally. Um, I bought out theaters for Black Panther. I've donated to the Colon Cancer Coalition. Like, I've mm -hmm. cried over this dude. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never cried over a celebrity in my life. Right. You know, because, like, that was just how much I was so moved by, like, not only what he did, but who he was as a person. Mm -hmm. So you know i i like try to communicate all of that in the video um and again it's just as a chadwick fan and a black panther fan i just wanted to put that out there and people responded to it a lot you know the thing got it went viral it had like sixty five thousand views it was crazy so when that happened i was like okay you know i've said what i said but then I'm hearing Marvel like doubling down on the not recasting and I'm like, Oh no, hell no. Mm -hmm. You know, like y'all really, you know, cause I was, I was hoping that they would be like, ah, we're not going to recast for now or ah, we, you know, right. maybe down the line, something. So I was like, you know what? And actually people had pushed me to do this. They was like, yo, you need to do a petition. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what made the recast the Chala petition, you know, cause again, because of that announcement, Right. If they had never said that, mm -hmm. I would have never made this petition. I would have never made my video. Nothing. Right. Because I kept trying to tell people, I'm like, if they say they are not going to recast, that means they're going to throw them in the background like Paul Walker in the Fast and Furious, and that's going to be whack. You mean to tell me if Wakanda's being attacked, T'Challa ain't about to be on the first plane, spaceship back? Come on now. Right? And, and, and outside of that, like, they're probably going to kill them off. Mm -hmm. so I was like, no. This petition that I'm making, what Recast T'Challa is all about, it's not preventing anyone else to get in the mantle. I don't care who has the mantle. Because mm -hmm. if you read the comics, the mantle goes around anyway. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter. But T'Challa is always consistent. Um, and I don't, I'm not calling for any type of immediate action. I'm not saying, uh, hey, do an Aunt Viv move from Fresh Prince and just throw some random person in. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying... Give him the same energy, that the same respect, the role that Chadwick gave it. Because keep in mind, he only took roles that he believed was bigger than him. Mm -hmm. Give him the same energy and the same respect that you would Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, James Bond. Those characters that have had the opportunity and the privilege to build their legacies over time. That's why they're staples. If somebody in any studio said, we're not recasting Spider-Man, Superman, they're losing their job. I don't care if you Kevin Feige. <laughs> You're losing your job. Disney's going to be like, you lost it. Get out. You're not going to recast one of the most popular characters in fictional pop culture? What are you talking about? So, And that's something I wanted people to also understand is the fact that, like, with recasting, I, and I don't know where this concept came from. This is the first time in all the years I've been watching movies, I've been watching interviews, I've been reading all about entertainment. This is the first time I've ever heard that recasting is disrespectful. There have been actors that have died and the roles recast. Heath Ledger, Joaquin Phoenix, 
Dumbledore, Harry Potter, Spartacus on Showtime or whatever. Not one person has ever said that's disrespectful. Not one person. Matter of fact, the opposite happens. The opposite happens because when the new actor comes in, what do they usually say? Man, I got picked to be the new Bond. I'm, I got picked to be the new Superman. It's an honor to join this lineage of great actors that came before me. <clears throat> Stop it. Stop it. What are you saying? When you recast, what does that say? Marvel recast two characters, uh, uh, War Machine and the Hulk. Why did they do that? They did it because they felt that even though they were supporting minor characters, they felt that their stories were important enough to continue. So recasting actually proves that you care about the, about the character. Let me ask you a quick question. Sure, yeah. How do you feel about, or do you recall, or think about, mm -hmm. when was the last time you even talked about it with your friends or, or brought, came up in conversation about the $6 million man, the bionic man? Can't remember the last time that happened. Me neither. You know why? Because the character's never been recast. If you were over 50, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember the bionic man, $6 million man. Man, they had five seasons. They had a movie. I remember that. But anybody under 30 don't remember that. Mm -hmm. Why? It has not been recast. So that's why I'm sitting here thinking, like, don't y'all do T'Challa the way y'all did $6 million man? Mm -hmm. That's why I want y'all to recast, because I don't want the next generation to sit here and be like, who's T'Challa? Oh, I know Black Panther. It's blah, 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 blah. Insert random black character. Right. No, 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 no. It's T'Challa. He's got 55 years of history he was created in 1966 by two jewish guys stanley and jack kirby to be the embodiment of an anti-stereotype he wasn't the shucking and jiving you know sidekick supporting black character that was always the case he was the first time that a leading black superhero was in mainstream comics he was the very first black superhero in the MCU, first black leading cinematic person. Falcon is not a leading character. I don't care about Falcon and Winter Soldier. <laughs> He's not a leading cinematic. I mean, no, let's be 100 about this. I get it, yeah. Is Falcon about to get a blockbuster movie? No. He's not. He can be Captain America all day. You know the only way that that might work? is if they put a whole roster of other uh, people in there, like Civil War. Because he doesn't have enough cachet to carry a movie. Rhodey doesn't either. Mm -hmm. Sorry to say it, but Shuri doesn't either at this point. Mm -hmm. The only reason people are going to go watch Black Panther 2 is not for Shuri. We want Shuri. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. We want Shuri I have no problem with her accelerating and everything. I got none of that issue. But ain't nobody going for her. Mm -hmm. We're going because it's Black Panther. We're going because of what the first movie did. And what people are forgetting is Chadwick put his all into that movie and to that role. And this is where we're going to get a little bit more into like the Hollywood discrimination issue. People are not understanding when you don't recast T'Challa, when you don't recast one of the first and only leading cinematic black characters in the MCU, 
you are taking a step backwards in progress for black actors. A leading role in the MCU is life changing. It's a game changer. Don't believe it? Ask Robert Downey Jr. Ask Chris Evans. Ask Chris Pratt. Ask Chris Hemsworth. When nobody checking for none of them until they got into the MCU and they were able to build the legacy. We can even talk like comic fans. Nobody was checking for Iron Man. Nobody cared about Thor. Talk nobody about cared it. about Captain America. Talk let's about be, it. Let's be honest. We knew who they were, but nobody was like, man, man it was about Wolverine. It was about Spider-Man. It was about all them, uh, the X-Men. Wasn't nobody checking for these B-level characters. There were C-level X-Men characters that if were that, bigger than those guys. that. So my point was like, T'Challa was on the rise to being equal status of what, because now Iron Man and Thor and Captain America are household names. I like to call them underwear superheroes, you know, because they're the <laughs> ones that little boys can put on their underwear. Now that can be the case, right? T'Challa was <laughs> almost there. And that's why I'm sitting here. I was like, when y'all don't recast, y'all took that opportunity right away mm -hmm. from another black actor at that. And let's not act like that's not what a uh, uh, part of Chadwick uh, Boseman's MO. Because a lot of people will come at me because they react to the to the hashtag, but they don't actually read the petition. They don't read the the they don't watch the videos. So they're just reacting emotionally, right? Right. And they're like, oh, you're disgracing Chadwick's legacy. And I'm like, no, I'm actually trying to continue the man's work. Did you know that he was signed on for Black Panther 3? Did you know that despite the fact that he knew he had cancer five years ago, he still had the foresight for a movie that still wouldn't even be a thing for another five years from now? You think he's really okay with the role just stopping with him? He didn't sign like some one-and-done deal. The man believed in the role. He wanted you. I actually posted a video on uh, my Instagram, and it was a video of Roland Martin because Chadwick Boseman sent him a text a couple months before he passed. And he was like, yo, I want people to remember me for the roles. I don't want people to see me. I want people to see the role. Mm -hmm. I want people to see Jackie Robinson, James Brown, T'Challa. Mm -hmm. That's what he wanted us to see. So when people sit here and be like, I can't see nobody else but Chadwick, and, uh, you know, it's T'Challa. You saying he failed. You, you're saying he didn't do his job. You're saying mm -hmm. he didn't accomplish what he worked his butt off for. So who's really disrespecting his legacy at that point? Mm -hmm. I'm out here saying like, yo, because Chadwick believed in that role, I believe in that role too. That's, that's why we're doing this. That's why this is a thing. It's literally for him to pick up, for somebody else to pick up the baton that he just, he raced so hard to build up. Mm-hmm. That's based off of his interview. I, I'm not acting like I knew the man. Sure, I'm sure. just saying this is based off of his speeches, based off of his interviews, based off of what he told friends and family. This is also based off of the fact that he lived a career. In his career, he would be going back to Howard University constantly helping mm -hmm. other actors. You mean to tell me this guy would be so selfish to stop the one and only leading black role and not want another actor to have that opportunity? I feel like that's inconsistent. So for me, I'm just sitting here like, yo, this is a bigger conversation than just, I want to get my superhero stories on screen. It's bigger than that. 
I'm like, yes, there, there's an element to that because his story is not done. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you are taking such a step back because, again, you were allowing he was like a, a, a Jackie Robinson when it comes to black characters, black fictional characters. And people don't realize that even in the comics when people are like, oh, but just like the comics, Shuri took over. And I'm like, look, you don't realize there would be no Shuri if it wasn't for T'Challa. You don't realize that Storm wouldn't be goddess level if it wasn't for T'Challa. You don't realize that the Dormelage that you're cheering on right now, there wouldn't be a thing if it wasn't for T'Challa. And if we really want to get into it, Hollywood plays this very discriminatory math when it comes to black characters. Oh, let's talk about it. (laughs) White characters get addition and multiplication. You got 50 different actors that can play this role all day, forever and ever. But black characters, we got to deal with subtraction and substitution. They're saying like, yo, instead of us giving you T'Challa again, let's take that away and give you a little bit something less like all these supporting characters. You going to take away Superman and give me all the Kryptonians? (laughs) Ain't nobody taking that deal. You going to take away Batman and give me all his little sidekicks and stuff? Ain't nobody taking that deal. Why do we have to take that deal? Why do we have to feel complicit with that? Because that's not what they did in the comics. In the comics, they was like, yo, we about to give you this African king. By the way, he about to pick everybody up and we all rising together. Everybody rose up together. T'Challa rose up. He brought all the black sisters with him. And that's why I'm sitting here like, this is what y'all are missing out on. This is why when people are saying like, don't recast. I'm like, you don't understand what you're compromising by not recasting this pivotal role. You don't realize that the strongest form of representation for the black community is a strong black man supporting and elevating a strong black woman and vice versa. That is the strongest. I don't care about sexual orientation. I don't care about none of that. Sure, sure. I'm just saying strong black man, strong black woman. We support one another. That is huge and that's what the comics did in the comics shuri and t'challa were working side by side when shuri became queen t'challa was like yes my queen do you understand what kind of impact that has on other men when they see a strong man supporting a woman but the message that is going to be communicated at this point when you take t'challa out is ah we don't need a man Uh, the woman can just go do whatever they want and don't get me wrong that's cool but is that really a necessary story that needs to be told compared to that woman still elevating on her own and still being supported by a strong male presence to give that further confirmation not for her but for the guys that are watching for the little boys that are watching that's what that communicates It communicates to the men that are watching that are like, I don't like a woman being Black Panther. I don't want to see that. When you see T'Challa out there being like, that's my sister. Yes, she the queen. Yes, she the one. She the Black Panther. Other dudes respect other dudes. That's why you need that. So that's why I'm like, this whole idea of not recasting is short-sighted. It, it, I understand the emotional aspect of it for sure, but the long-term <laughs> impact, 
not getting another actor an opportunity, creating more ceilings, you know, for other black actors and stuff, not seeing the strongest form of representation, not having the stories told, it's a problem. It's a problem. I, and here's the other thing. Can we not confine Chadwick to just T'Challa? My man was a bigger person than that. He was an actor. He was a husband. He was a phenomenal human being. We can celebrate Chadwick all day without compromising T'Challa at the same time. Sorry, I went on for that. But no, no, see, no. By all means, as you can see, I'm, you, I'm kind of passionate about listen, this. Listen, I've been waiting to have this conversation with, with you for the longest time. And I'm so glad you hit all those points because you basically reiterated like maybe like 98% of what I wanted to say towards other people. Because there are other people who are just like, well, no, it's disrespectful to recast. It's, it's his legacy. And like I've said to people as a pushback that like if you think that Black Panther is his legacy, then you're disrespecting Chadwick because Black Panther was part of his legacy. If I his had legacy to argue, bigger. If, if I had to argue, I would probably think, like, if I had to guess, sure, he probably cared more about Ma Rainey than Black Panther. Oh yeah, because this is the dude that, like I say, he studied film. Mm -hmm. He's he's that actor, actor, actor. Like, if he was like, ooh, be a movie star, be an actor on Broadway, he's probably gonna choose that. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I'm just saying, like that was a passion project for this man 100%. to do. You know, and he—that's th no shade to the Black Panther. For, you know, right. he knew and respected and understood what the commercial aspect of uh, Black Panther was and the cultural aspect. <laughs> Matter of fact, he—and this is more heartbreaking because he was in full support mm -hmm. of Shuri taking up the mantle. Right. Like people don't realize that, and that's why I'm sitting. There, I was like. It wasn't going to be this competition. It's, it's kind of weird how, like, um, what was it? Like, how people think that, like, Bucky should have gotten the shield instead of Sam yeah. or whatever. And I'm like, y'all don't realize that the character is okay with Sam getting the... And that's the same thing that happened in the comics, too. Like, Yeah. Give like, him the head nod. That, that's fans that are manufacturing this beef. Yeah. And at the same time, even if T'Challa... Even if Chadwick had not passed away or whatever and he was still around, Shuri was still going to get the mantle. Yeah. And T'Challa was still going to be there. And it was still going to be a Black Panther 3. Why do you think that they had to change the script and everything? The, it was not... It, 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 you know, it, it was already... That's, that's how it was in the comics. Exactly. In the comics, you know, he was in a coma. Mm -hmm. Shuri took over. But he was never gone. Like, you're talking about, like, five comic issues or something where he just wasn't active. Right. But he was still there. Matter of fact, there was a point in time where you had two Black Panthers. Yep, and he was the King of the Dead, and while she was uh, Queen of Wakanda, I remember that. I'm like, I would love that. Let her rule Wakanda, mm -hmm. be badass and everything, mm -hmm. and let let T'Challa go run around in space or do whatever he's doing with the Avengers. Sure. How is this not a win-win that we can both accept? And that's why I keep getting frustrated with people because I'm like, yo, y'all keep treating this like an either-or situation. Mm -hmm. You bought everything Marvel sold you, hook, line, and sinker, that like, oh, yeah, we, you know, we want to do this and, you know, this honors his legacy. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> you could do more. I'm just saying you could do more. I'm not saying right. you're wrong. But what I would say is the fact that 
movies are not the NBA. You don't retire a character the way you retire a jersey. Right. That's never been how it works. Y'all didn't do that with the Hulk. Y'all didn't do that with, you know, with Rhodey. Y'all not, and here's the other thing. Marvel does not reboot. Even their comics, they don't reboot. They do soft reboots. Mm-hmm. But they don't just, you know, like DC, you know, they okay, they do their little run for five years, then they start something else. And Marvel does not do that. People will be like, oh, in the next five, ten years, it'll be cool. Like they'll, they'll bring another one. I'm like, when? Do you know what's happening in the next five, ten years? So We're gonna get mutants. <laughs> right? We're gonna get the Fantastic Four. Do you understand how much that opens up to even more stories? What, what does that mean then? That means you got to keep on pushing this mystical, mythical reboot even another five, ten more years. Exactly. You don't know what you're talking about. And, like, the crazy thing is <laughs> what a lot of people don't realize is that by not continuing the T'Challa the, 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 the character and story, it's a disservice to Chadwick's legacy because of the yeah. fact that he went through so much to get that role right. as well as performing that role. Like we right. did not know this guy was, was battling cancer right. as he was performing that role. So to have that in presence of mind and to say that it should no longer be continued, it puts his process and his efforts in vain because he yeah. didn't go through all that pain just to have the character discontinued. Right. And a right. lot of people who are saying, no, it's to honor his legacy. They don't realize that they don't have the no. foresight to realize that. Like he knew what was going on in the system. Do you think that any other person would, would, would do the same thing knowing the importance that comes with that role? No. Right. And they right. have to put that into, into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Listen, there's so much more I want to discuss with you, but I know you're on a tight schedule, so I really do appreciate you coming through. Um, as far as the campaign goes, like, yeah. where can people go to to this website to to continue to fill out this petition where can they go yeah change.org backslash recast t'challa just like that Mm -hmm. um you can find it i mean you could just type in in google Mm change.org recast t'challa uh it should pop up um we are so close at the last time i looked we're about to hit twenty five thousand. so um you could get in there you can contribute you can share it um we just made uh good morning america yes. uh which is abc which is disney yep. which owns marvel so um you absolutely can make your voice be heard um i'll be <laughs> on twitter all day just hitting them up and being like hey marvel do y'all see this yeah do you see the people talking yes. i need you to understand that the people are talking here okay so mm-hmm. it is it is getting legs it is moving change.org backslash recast T'Challa. Once again, it is not asking for an immediate recast. Mm -hmm. It is not preventing uh, anyone else from taking up the mantle, including Shuri. Um, And (laughs) last but not least, all it is asking for is do not permanently stop the portrayal of Mm T'Challa. If you want to take a break, that's fine. You want to come back. I don't care. There are 50 million stories that they can tell. Mm-hmm. 50 million different ways they could tell. I could give you 10 right now. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to make them a scroll, make them a scroll. You want to <laughs> put them in time, put them back in time. You want to kidnap them by Dr. Doom, do that. You want to, you know, clone them or whatever. You can do a lot of different things. And this petition is asking, don't kill them off permanently. That's it. 
Perfect. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I've done my part. I've signed it and I've actually spread that video as, as well because it's, it's important to me. It's important to a lot of people. And like, I'm, I'm glad we have someone such as yourself spearheading this, this uh, movement. So yeah, I really want to thank you, honestly, like from the bottom of my heart, thank you for spearheading this movement because we need this as, as film goers, as people who talk about film and, you know, especially for black people who want to see themselves, you know, represented in a, in a positive light in film. So this is like one step closer towards it. So thank you for, for launching this petition and, and, and this, and this movement because it has legs. Like, again, like you said, good morning, America. Like you're, we're knocking on the front door of Disney basically. It's nuts. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Um, apart from that, where can people find your content? Yeah. Uh, E-Man's movie reviews. You can find me on, if you just Google it, E-Man, just like He-Man, except (laughs) without the H, uh, movie reviews. I'm on uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find me, follow me, check my stuff out, go watch the videos, have a good time. Um, but yeah, you can definitely catch me there. And, uh, and you know, like definitely come and uh, enjoy yourself. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I really wanted to get into some Falcon Winter Soldier stuff, but we'll leave that for another time. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, thank you so much for coming through and you're more than welcome to hop on cool radio anytime. And we'll chop up, you know, Marvel, DC, whatever, like we'll, we'll, we'll nerd out, man. I'm, I'm down gotcha. for it. Appreciate <laughs> you, man. Thank you so much. Excellent. And as for all the people listening at home or watching from home, you guys can follow me on my socials at cool radio CC. This has been another edition of cool radio. Once again, I'm your man DM cool. And as we always say, cool radio is a division of cool click media and entertainment reminding you that we are creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.